All right. Welcome back to BreakCheck, your source for automotive knowledge from the Northwest School. Today, we're going to do an informational episode on car sounds, the science of what makes a car loud, what constitutes a good sound from the muffler of a car, and kind of what are parts of an exhaust, how each part of it works, and how it's kind of similar to parts of an engine. I feel like a lot of people understand what exhaust is but you don't know like what the muffler is what the resonator is or what a catalytic converter is so we'll go into depth on those specific parts of the exhaust and then seiji has a little update uh one of his family friends bought a really cool car that he's going to talk about and yeah so uh let's just gonna get it started with the basics on exhaust we all know the exhaust is what is it coming out of the engine so you have the fuel mixture and air, and then that creates a spark, which drives down the piston. Um, and then the remnants from that comes out of the engine and needs a place to go. And it goes out the back of the car through a bunch of tubing and piping. Now, that's pretty simple, but just that application is actually pretty bad for the environment. So there's a lot of little filters that are part of that exhaust that can help it quiet down and also make the air cleaner to breathe. So the first segment of an exhaust when it's coming right out of the engine, I believe, is it the headers or the downpipe? It's first the header and then the downpipe. And then after that, if it's a gas-powered car, it goes to a catalytic converter. But if it is a diesel, it goes to, uh, I believe it's called a PPF. PPF stands for particulate or petrol particulate filter. Um, and it makes it so that diesels don't pollute as much. One popular thing that is actually federally illegal is <laughs> removing the PPF on diesels, which makes them a lot louder. It can make them faster because they really limit the power in order to not pollute. And it makes them do something called rolling coal sometimes. That is... That's just a little bit of a tangent. I'm not going to go in depth on that. Now, catalytic converters are actually really valuable right now. And a lot of people have had them been stolen off of their cars. I know Priuses was a big one that was hit. And even our local school buses at our school, one of them got its catalytic converter stolen. So there's the headers, downpipe, cats. Um, yeah, so catalytic converters are usually for gasoline cars, and a lot of yeah. enthusiasts refer to them as cats. So that's why if you hear like, oh, I'm going to go buy some new cats for my car, that's not they're not buying feline yeah. animals for their car, they're buying catalytic converters. Um, and but people it, often say like they're getting high-flow cats or a cat-back exhaust, which means that it's a replacement for the exhaust that just goes behind the catalytic converters. So if you're interested in exactly what they do, um, it's converting um, it's unburnt hydrocarbons or really to toxic fumes into like oxygen, water, nitrogen, that kind of stuff that's more digestible by humans and also just does toxic for the environment. Like Seiji said, uh, a catback exhaust just goes to the catalytic converters. In the U.S., it is mandatory to have a catalytic converter on your car. Um, so I believe like before in the 60s, you didn't need to have a catalytic converter. And then everybody had to go and get them put on because the government mandated it. So it's actually, it's illegal to be catless is what we call it. 
but people do that nonetheless because they want the card to be loud. Generally, most cards have catalytic converters. And then, yes, after that, it goes to the resonator. Sage, you want to talk about that? The resonator is, I believe, mainly just for quieting things. And then there's the muffler, which does exactly what it sounds like. It muffles the engine note. That's why one of the cheapest ways to make your car really loud is just chopping off the muffler. That's called straight piping it. Lewis did that to his car, except he didn't exactly cut it. He just replaced the part that had the muffler. And it makes the car sound nicer most of the time, makes it louder. And another thing you can do is you can just replace the muffler, which makes it so that it may sound a little bit better, may sound a little different, maybe a little bit louder, but still muffled a little bit. Yeah, and usually mufflers and resonators are clumped together in a package when we talk about that. So a resonator usually is basically cancels out sound waves to make your car really quiet. So with the shape of the tubing that's in, the sound waves get canceled out. And then the, the muffler is basically a silencer. So it muffles the sound. If you look under a car, it's a big, giant, like metal suitcase looking kind of thing. So all the exhaust fumes run through that and they're uh, dampened in or the noises are dampened by that and then they go out of the car so a resonator and a muffler usually work in tandem and there's a huge aftermarket community and business for mufflers and resonators to help fine-tune the sound of your engine so like cg mentioned some people would just completely cut them off but if you still want some decency and you don't just want an extremely loud car you know you can look into a muffler that's just slightly louder still has some good kind of tones to it, but not super loud. And then um, let's talk about the science of what makes different engines sound the way they do. Can I start that off? Or Lewis, did you have something to say? Yeah, sure thing. You said that off. But one thing really quick, just want to go from the very top. Within the cylinder, the way that exhaust is created is the engine takes in gasoline and it takes in air from the outside world through an air filter. To purify that air and then what happens is gas is inputted into the cylinder and then it's a gas air mixture that gets ignited by a spark plug and then like Seiji and Merrick said it goes from the exhaust manifold and the engine block down through a catalytic converter like Merrick talked about to purify the fumes and then it goes often through resonator and then a muffler. And what I do with my Volvo XC90 is I cut off the muffler and make it a little more loud and to showcase that Yamaha V8. But what a lot of people do is they'll purchase catback exhausts, which in some cases have no muffler or have a very small muffler and resonator. And that's sometimes referred to as straight piping, just depending on a setup. The most popular aftermarket exhausts for supercars is often, I would say, FI exhaust. And that's one we see a lot on YouTube with automotive YouTubers. Borla is really popular for things like Volkswagen Golfs and kind of everyday cars. There's one yeah. called Army Tricks. That's a really popular brand for uh, usually Japanese cars, older Japanese cars. I know um, Akrapovic, um, you may pronounce it Akrapovic. It's a Swedish brand. It's kind of a difficult pronunciation. They make, they started with bikes and they now make a whole bunch of different exhausts for Alfa Romeos. They make the Ford GT exhaust. Their exhausts are even found on Koenigseggs. So they do a lot of big partnerships. Super popular, indeed. 
Seiji, take it away. <laughs> Back to science of engines, what makes them sound the way they do. Let's just first go over one of the most, probably the most common type of engine, the inline four. Um, for, most modern for cars. Cylinder. Yes, most modern cars have a turbocharged four cylinder. And a lot of people say I four, straight four, or inline four because the pistons are all in a straight line vertically, kind of making the shape of an eye. They tend to sound pretty raspy. Yeah, so a four-cylinder um, is a wide variety of different four-cylinders. They usually range from like a 1.4 liter to a 2 liter is the most common displacement amount. But having four-cylinders make them sound really raspy and angry. So we have cars like the Fiat 500 Abarth, which is the performance version, which actually, fun fact, the engine is so small, it's a 1.4 liter, that when they were sold in the U.S., they did not need a muffler because the engine's so small and it didn't make that much noise. So that means that they're straight pipe from factories, so they actually sound really mean and cool. So you can make a four-cylinder be a pretty obnoxious car, but when they get up high in the rev range, they get really pitchy. For the optimal sound, you want to keep it from around like 2,000 to four or 5,000 RPMs in a general four-cylinder. Here's some examples of pretty distinct sounds. You've probably heard them before. Uh, the Subaru Boxer 4, mm. which is also called a flat 4. The uh, pistons actually go side to side instead of up and down. Or the Honda Civic four-cylinders. And the reason that the Honda Civic four-cylinders sound the way they do. It's hard to describe the way they sound, but the reason they sound that way is because of something called VTEC, or also known as variable valve timing. What it does is it changes the timing of the valves depending on what RPMs you're at, how, how high you're revving it. So it tends to like sound pretty quiet at low revs and then just kind of kind of hear a change in pitch as you get up a couple times you hear a change in pitch a lot of people think they sound kind of annoying but with a good quality exhaust uh, you can make them sound really good yeah i mean hondas are pretty common engines and they're relatively common first car for enthusiasts so if you're ever kind of like trying to fall asleep at night and you hear a car kind of driving around that just gets progressively louder and higher pitched it's usually a honda um, so their engines are known for getting really peaky and high pitched uh, in their high RPMs. Uh, I can describe a, a Subaru Boxer um, and just a Boxer en engine in general. This is a relatively uncommon engine format, usually found in four cylinders, where, like Seiji mentioned, it's on its side instead of vertical. And Porsche has actually used this for the Porsche Boxster, which is a very similar name to Boxster. So Boxsters have a Boxster engine. So Subaru and Porsche are the main companies that utilize this format. And the reason why it's got this really kind of grunty, deep, growly, throaty sound is because the engine is laying on its side. There are two exhaust outlets on each side of the engine, and one is on, I mean, if you're looking in an engine bay, like one would be on like the bottom right, and the other one would be on the top left. And then when they go to the back of the car to get to greet the exhaust, when those headers and those pipes go back there, it's an unequal length from each exhaust outlet. So we call this unequal length headers because the header is coming from the 
uh, engine block. So that's the unequal length part. And it kind of gives us this um, variable sound that's kind of like it sounds like a, a rumble because they're two different frequencies in tone, which gives it that kind of mean, raspy sound. Especially on upshift, that is a really common noise that you'll hear the bouncing off the kind of the red line. Bop, 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 or, um, uh, Merrick did a better impression. The other four cylinder that's really common, this one's new to the auto industry. Is this the one that Volvo pioneered when they were purchased by Geely, which is a turbocharged and supercharged four cylinder? And this engine has a few different variants. The reason why I'm bringing this one up is a lot of manufacturers, even Ford, for example, they have an EcoBoost engine. Mustangs have the EcoBoost. Raptors have the V6 EcoBoost. Same with the Ford Transit vans. Even, so lot, even Ford Supercar, the Ford GT, has an EcoBoost yeah, V6. That's hilarious. It's just crazy uptuned. But a lot of these auto manufacturers are downsizing so they're able to focus more on interiors and overall like infotainment system and just the general design of the car and by creating these really reliable engines in most cases fingers crossed they're able to focus on other things but volvo and ford they have that interesting relationship because ford used to own volvo but when volvo got purchased by the chinese company geely what happened is they invested a lot of money and they created the xc90 which was one of the first cars to have their turbocharged and supercharged four-cylinder, which is 316 horsepower, but the variant is that you can get the T6, which is the higher term, or the higher tier engine specification, or you can get the T5. And the difference between the two is that they're the exact same engine, except one has a supercharger, which is the T6. So it's twin-charged. It's turbocharged and supercharged. And then from here, Volvo has added a electric motor and a third motor, crank motor to create a plug-in hybrid, which is something that Merrick's family has. They have the T8 XC90, that, so it's a plug-in hybrid to get the best of both worlds. And then they will actually announced today that they, they had an ad where they want to go fully electric from here on out, and they're sticking to that commitment. So that's kind of interesting because they're still making cars that have gasoline engines, but they're not gonna design a gasoline engine from here on out, so a lot of manufacturers are going fully electric, which those sounds are completely different. Yeah, Volvo is definitely a company that is fully committed to this. Um, just a little tangent, uh, they have a subdivision called Polestar, which used to be their kind of sporty, kind of race car type uh, brand. Um, but now that is a fully electric sports car brand. And then Volvo has their own recharge moniker, which will be their electric versions of their normal cars, like the XC40 recharge, XC60 recharge, etc. So moving on, um, another yeah, common engine is, Let's move on to six cylinders. Yeah, I was about to say six cylinders. So these are commonly found in BMWs. Inline sixes are found in BMWs. And then a V6, which is very common in a lot of Japanese cars. And just kind of every car in general. Mustangs have V6. It's a Ford Mustang American car. There's a lot of German cars that have V6s too. I'll let Seiji go into that. A lot of the higher-end Japanese sports cars have V6s. And the lower end European and American sports cars have six cylinder engines. So one really distinct six cylinder is the Nissan VQ engine. That's the engine used in the 350Z, the 370Z, the Infiniti G35, the Infiniti G37, and 
many other cars. Those are the three main cars that you've probably you probably see at car meets with that engine. Um, and it's known for sounding like a trombone. Yeah. These are very common engines. I would argue some of the most common V6s in performance cars. But yeah, six cylinders have been around forever. Um, in the 1950s, they were like the, one of the most common uh, configurations until in the 60s, V8s kind of became picking up steam, especially in European cars and mainly American cars. But yeah, a six cylinder has been around forever. So this is just kind of your good, reliable, sturdy engine. And yeah, BMW is kind of the number one brand that can that keeps the flat straight six or yeah you call it straight six around and then companies like nissan has the v6 i want to add that the nissan gtr that is known for having a hand-built v6 sage you could talk a little bit more about that but that is my favorite v6 engine because it's for one thing i believe really reliable two it's hand-built and three it just is they had they've tuned it perfectly yeah, they can make upwards of a thousand horsepower in a V6 platform, which is crazy for the Nissan GTR, and it's why tuners love them. And just kind of a lot of um, people that aren't really a big fan of supercars actually classify these as like a borderline supercar, and they say that they would love to, it's a lot of people's dream car. They'd love to own them one day. So yeah, the GTR definitely did a good job. The new R35 GTR with the V6 did a good job at winning over its fan base and having some really loyal followers. And it's a platform that's been around since 2012, and they still make them today. So that's an eight-year-old car that is still relevant, which is just really phenomenal. And it has amazing tuning capabilities with close to 1,200 horsepower in certain variants, even more. Yeah, and um, the predecessor to that was the R34. Before that, there was the R33, R32, R31, Skylines. um, And those all had inline six cylinders. The R32, 3, and 4 had an engine called the RB26 DETT, which is a really popular engine for drifting and tuning. It's a really famous engine, also capable of upwards of a 1,000 horsepower. And you may have heard of its competitor, the 2JZ, made by Toyota, which is also upwards of uh, or capable of over a thousand horsepower 2jz is a really legendary engine it was popularized for the toyota supra that was seen in the fast and furious movies that's the big orange car and yeah that 2jz engine is really well known and they're very valuable today because of the sound they make their ability to shoot flames and the crazy amounts of horsepower that they can have moving on and And let me say let me say one more thing about six cylinders really quickly volkswagen is known for its six-cylinder engine called the vr6 uh, engine and it has a very distinct sound and the reason is the firing also the firing pattern and i remember the piston firing pattern for this one because um i really love this engine i believe it's two three one five six four and the other thing is the pistons are not in the shape of the, so it fires in the pattern of an inline six, but it's a V six and V sixes usually have different firing patterns from inline sixes. So it kind of blends the sound of the two. And the other thing is that 
inline sixes are super smooth, but V sixes are more compact. So what they kind of did was they took the benefits of both and they made it a V, but uh, more of an acute angle. You know, a lot of V engines are 60 degrees or 90 degrees. I believe this is like 45 degrees. And so it's just as compact or almost as compact as a V6, but almost as smooth as an inline six. Yeah, very unique engine and very famous engine for sure, the VR6 for a little small compact car. Usually cars of those size have four cylinders. So the fact that it's got a V6 in it is really cool. I would argue one of the most just common and well-known engines, there's even a uh, drink brand named after this type of engine, V8. This is a, basically you can think of it as two four inline four cylinders stuck together at the bottom, creating a V and then eight, so four cylinders on each side. This is common in originally American muscle cars, but then a lot of German touring cars started to use those mercedes my favorite mercedes amgs are very well known for their 6.2 liter engines that are incredibly loud and very fast lots of high horsepower in those cars so yeah v8 is a very well-rounded engine also used in ferraris um v8 is very versatile sound because you can have a cross-plane crank which is where the crank combining the two cylinder um, banks so that each four cylinder uh, is kind of in a crisscross pattern. So the pistons are firing at unequal times, giving it a very angry, raspy sound. And they're just, they're very well known for this angry noise. But then Ferraris also use V8s and they have a flat uh, crank and certain cylinders will fire at the same time and it gives it this very smooth even tone that some people will even liken to like angel singing or something like that but yes the v8 is a very versatile platform for sound lots of american muscle cars use a v8 and the reason you can tell the difference just by the sound from a, an american v8 and a european v8 is american v8s usually fire the pistons usually fire in a certain pattern which i believe is very different from other and i don't think there are many engines european v8s that fire in this order forget what it is but it it's the firing pattern of the pistons that can often make engines sound the way they do yeah in recent times those lines of distinguishing has been blurred bmw and mercedes v8s fire the same way as american v8s so they usually sound very similar but really the outlier is the ferrari v8s that make their own distinct noise i know that's kind of the one that has the that unique firing pattern which is caused by that flat plane crank that i was talking about Last week, I was doing some car shopping with my grandma. She's looking to buy a Sprinter van or a Ford Transit van so she can go camping. She's really outdoorsy. Shout out, Sharon. You're an OG. <laughs> Love you. Um, but we were looking at Mercedes-Benz, and I had the privilege of driving the E63 AMGS, which is one of their flagship sports sedans. And this is a, I believe it's a bi-turbo V8. It's one that Merrick mentioned earlier on. But when you add turbochargers and superchargers and forced induction, these engines fly. This was 
the mo one of the most, the second most amazing car I've ever driven. Cause I drove an Audi R8 last summer, which was naturally aspirated and had a V10, but this V8 just flew my face like pulled back and I was dizzy just from the sound. It was almost nauseating how fast it was. It was also just a beautiful car and AMG has done a really good job with the tuning of it. Had these big, I think Michelin Pilot's Cup, Pilot Cup or or 3S tires, something like that. Really sticky rubber, no wheel slip, all wheel drive. Just a complete rocket. And then the other car that we're, you're kind of looking at that one, they were like, no, that's not practical at all. It's also a little bit out of our budget. But some of the used Audi RS7s or S7s have a, they call it a hot V8, and their twin-turbo V8s around 540, 560 horsepower, and the turbochargers are in the middle of the V, which is why they call it a hot V8. Mercedes uses the same thing for their E63, the 4.0 liter, and the car Lewis is talking about. It's called the in, inside hot V. Yes, it's a very hot V, and what that means is <laughs> turbochargers are subjected to really high temps, for one thing. So oil changes are really, really important for those cars and maintenance in general. But the Audi RS7, the S7, and the S8, for the longest time, that was those were really popular, and they still are. Those are just some beautiful V8s that we drove. And the uh, Volkswagen Golf R, that was a car that we were test driving because it was my mom's birthday, and she is a Golf right now, but she doesn't like it, and she wants something that's all-wheel drive, which is why we're car shopping at the same time as my grandma. But if you have a, if you have a Golf R, feel free to shoot me an email or DM because I'm curious to know what your experience with that car has been as one of Volkswagen's flagship models because the Golf R MK7 is really from, it could have been specific to the model that we drove, but it had the worst road noise of almost any car I've driven, which I don't know if that's just be mean, me being dramatic where it was a particular to the model, but I had to like shout when we were in the I-90 tunnel because it was stock, but I just couldn't hear Sharon, who is next to me, my grandma. Um, and that's that. But moving on. Um, I, have, I have one thing related to the Golf R. The Mark IV R32, which later evolved into the Golf R, had did not have much road noise. I know from personal experience, my dad used to own one, and he really misses it. It was He said it was so fun to drive. That had the VR6 that I was talking about sounded really nice american v8s also sound different because they have one like thing for the the piston to attach to on the crankshaft every 90 degrees instead of every 180 degrees so the um or every yeah, every 90 degrees instead of every 180 degrees. So there's four. It, it, if you look at it from the side, it kind of looks like an X or a plus, whereas it would just look like a minus if you looked at a European V8 or other cars. Flat plane crank is the minus. Yeah. Cross plane is the plus. Yep. All right. We're going to move on to an engine that Lewis mentioned, that Lewis has driven, and that Lewis loves, the V10. So this is a very versatile, great engine um, found in high-performance, high-trim cars. So it's found in all the way from sedans that Audi makes to uh, supercars like the Lamborghini Huracan. And usually it is a naturally aspirated, aspirated engine, which means no turbos or superchargers because it's such a big engine. It actually has so much displacement that it doesn't need that additional forced induction. 
and it has this very nice kind of more exotic sounding noise to it um, that is clearly distinctive from other cars. If you've heard a Lamborghini, Huracan, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, adding on to what Merrick said, the naturally aspirated, in many cases, it's sometimes a it's a 5.2 liter V8 found in the Audi R8, as well as the Huracan and Lamborghini Gallardo, as Merrick mentioned or insinuated. And in the Audi S6. Yes. Yeah. Or I think one of the older S6. Yeah, around 2012. Um, and the RS6 actually had a 5 liter twin turbo V12 or V10. Yeah. Oh, wow. But wow. these are le- less common engines for sure because they're more expensive to produce and they're larger, so they consume a lot more gas. They're really not that common, and they're found in a lot of Audi products. So that's what we're talking about right now. Um, moving on to another very rare configuration is the V12, which is found in a lot of luxury cars like Rolls Royces, luxury BMWs, the 7 Series, and the Merce- Mercedes Maybach cars. They're also found in Lamborghinis. And a lot of uh, like borderline hypercar, top tier supercars use these V12s, which are known to just scream and make almost F1 like noises because they were originally used in the first Formula One cars. So a lot of people will buy a V12 because they know that it's got this really how loud, high pitched screaming noise. That is 100% true. The other thing I want to add on to or add on to that, we talked about the. Um, angelic, I think that's a word. <laughs> the angelic V8 sounds that the Ferrari V8s make, and one car that's been really popular to this day that's been derived from the Ferrari V8, but they've cut off two cylinders and made it a six-cylinder. It's the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio, and then the Stella Quadrifoglio, or Quadrifoglio, depending on how you pronounce it. But these cars are also beautiful as well, and they're known for their pitch. But Merrick mentioned the Lamborghini V12s and also V12s in general, and with those sound 100% true, they sound like F1 cars. And then we move on to Bugatti, which is known for the W16s, which is uh, two V8s mashed together, and that is its own distinct sound in itself, with that car having four turbochargers, or I think four turbochargers. Yeah, um, Bugatti is owned by the Volkswagen Group, which Lamborghini is also part of, and so is Audi, and so is Bentley. So uh, Bentley actually also has a W16 that they use for a lot of their uh, speed models, um, which is a lot. The W16s tend to have a lot deeper tone. I believe I believe Bentley uses a W12. Oh, Bentley uses a W12. Yeah, there we go. So the W engine configurations are usually used by the high end companies of the Volkswagen group. So that would be Bentley and Bugatti, which is also part of Volkswagen group. So yeah, these W engines usually have a very deep sound. I know Bugatti is because they have four turbochargers, which really muffles out the noise, but it also gives it this kind of almost jet plane-like sounding noise. Fun fact, they actually made a Passat with a W engine. Um, For a little bit, you could get a really rare Passat with a W8 which is two V4s mushed together, sharing one crankshaft. Yeah, very, very weird engine, and they're quite rare, but they're really cool. So yeah, that's kind of a crash course, little history on, and just kind of talk about different types of engines, engine configurations, and what sounds they make. So I hope you enjoy this little short lesson on exhaust and that kind of stuff. And yeah, you guys want to wrap it up?
So stay tuned because I was just reminded that we're going to be talking about, or that we missed out on talking about rotaries. Um, and these, this is, you can think of it as like a spinning triangle. It's commonly found on, or a rotary airplane is commonly, a rotary engine is commonly found on airplanes. So it's basically like an airplane engine in a car. So very neat configuration that we will touch on later because we are mainly focusing on piston engines today. So yeah, um, we'll make an episode on that uh, in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. See you next episode. Bye. Bye, everyone. We'll see you in the next episode.